when you eat, it's not just talking about the food that you put in your body, but the music that you listen to, the books that you read, but more importantly, the words that you say to yourself because you feed yourself. And so if you feed yourself negative thoughts, then negative is what ends up growing and manifesting. Hey everybody, Emily Abadi here. You are listening to episode 217 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential. And of course, have some fun along the way. Today, I'm so elated to bring you my conversation with Rebecca Price. She is a yoga and meditation coach, a Nike trainer, and honestly, a ray of light. We met a couple months back out in Los Angeles as a part of Nike's 50 for Her event, and I was so excited to be able to sit down with her recently here in New York when she was out visiting. For today's episode, we chat all about Rebecca's own wellness journey, how she got into both practicing and teaching both modalities and the impact that it's had on her life. She also opens up about what it was like for her to navigate postpartum depression, as well as a difficult health diagnosis that completely reshaped her outlook on life and her practice. We also have a really beautiful discussion on how to feel more at home in your body, having grace with yourself, having compassion with yourself. And Rebecca offers up some really useful tips on kind of how to get to that place for those that struggle with negative self-talk. And let's be real, that's something that we all struggle with from time to time. Again, love this convo. Rebecca, like I said, is a light and I know you're going to love it too. Make sure you're following along with the show over on social. It's over at Hurdle Podcast. I am over at Emily Abadi. And with that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Rebecca Price. She is a Nike trainer, a meditation and yoga expert. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. And how about yourself? Oh my God, your voice is so soothing. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'm totally going to get messages after this and people are going to be like, can you guys just talk to us all day? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Are you used to that compliment? Yeah, actually, I'm used to it, Um, especially when I do my my meditations. I get a lot of people who are like, I love the sound of your voice. And there's this one woman, her name is Susan. I used to do these meditations at the beginning of the pandemic um, just to help people like ease. And she like, she's like, I heard you. I was in my kitchen and I stopped what I was doing and I sat on my floor and she like, she's like, I looked you up on Facebook. I looked you up on Instagram. Like she started following me. She's like, 
the voice for her was what did it and made mm-hmm. her feel like at peace and calm. So I, I get it a lot. My kids don't like it because they're like, you're trying to put us to sleep. <laughs> but um, yeah, I get that a lot. We love Susan. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, you are visiting town yeah. and we met back in Los Angeles when mm-hmm. Nike did the 50 for her, mm-hmm. the celebration of the 50th year of the company. And it's just so great for us to be able to connect here. And I had the opportunity to sit down and listen to you speak and do a meditation with you and was so enamored, not just by your voice, but by your demeanor and your presence. So I'd love if you could just share a little bit of that story with the hurdlers and talk to us about how you got into this work. Uh, The Coles Notes version of this story is about um, 22 years ago. I was pregnant with my first child. I was experiencing a lot of anxiety around like this whole entire space of entering motherhood and what did that mean? And I was also like in university and like I had moved to a new city to like get an education, not get pregnant. So there's like a whole bunch of um, variables that were at play. And I thought about practicing and doing yoga, like um, prenatal yoga as a way to kind of like help me cope. I had like this whole setup in my head where I was going to play like Bob Marley during like labor and delivery and have incense burning. It was like this whole vibe. Um, Unfortunately, I had a lot of complications and um, it didn't end up that way. Um, And I also uh, found out while giving birth to him that I had fibroids um, because I hemorrhaged. And so it was a very like precarious time for me and and being in that state and what I ended up anchoring into a lot was like meditation like the visual pieces um the mantras just to be able to kind of like help me get over onto the other side and then I also had postpartum depression so um meditation and yoga as a practice um learning how to anchor back into my body was something that I I started to do and then I actually enjoyed it um and so I decided to kind of like go more further and deeper into that as a practice. And what ended up happening was I would go to yoga studio spaces and I would be like the only woman of color a lot of the time in those spaces. Um, And my background is in community development. So I would work in a lot of marginalized uh, communities in Toronto and specifically and in Jamaica too as well. I just noticed that in community development, we talk a lot about the social determinants of health, like what makes people feel like they belong, what makes people feel like all those things kind of add to one's ability to be well. And um, I didn't necessarily see that in the spaces that I was practicing in. And so then I was just like, okay, um, I was working in a community. I had a bunch of kids. I started teaching them kids yoga just to be able to like get more community partners to come in. So I was like, oh, we have a yoga program. I was the one teaching it. And the parents started coming to me and being like, oh, like, what are you doing with my child? And I was like, I'm teaching them yoga. Is that okay? And then they were like, whatever you're doing, can you teach me that? And I was like, oh, okay, so this is a thing. And so I started offering like free programming for the parents Mm -hmm. um, because the parents were noticing that their kids were not getting in trouble as much. I taught them like count to 10 before you react, like all these kinds of things. And so it kind of morphed into like this free little community program that I was offering to like um, someone reaching out to me and offering me a scholarship for teacher training. And I was like, oh, so this is like a real thing now. And uh, I went and got certified and I specifically came back to the same community that I started in and just offered like free yoga. And it kind of like blossomed into like creating the community spaces where like people of color could come and practice. And then fast forward (laughs) 10 years later, I just happened to be, you know, everybody always asks me about my journey to Nike and all that kind of stuff. Like 
I just feel like, um, you know, when the universe places things on your path and, it, and it's an alignment for you, it just naturally happens. And, um, you know, I, I feel that like me finding yoga at that time as a practice and meditation at that time as a practice fell in alignment with what I was in need of. And then me creating initiatives and programs and offerings for people to be able to pour into themselves and to take care of themselves and to kind of also normalize this ideal of like, um, like creating communities where people felt like they belonged, especially mm. in in places where like you're othered a lot. And what does that mean to be able to just kind of like be in a space where you could just like, I used to tell people like, even if you just did Shavasana and you did nothing else, like that's your practice, right? And so like my journey to Nike was just like, um, someone came and they took one of my classes and they really liked it. And then, you know, next thing you know, I'm doing like a shootout in L.A. and talking to some really cool people. And um, um, I uh, ended up having an opportunity to kind of like audition or be like do some trainer audition. Unfortunately, at that time, I had um, fibroids and I also had like a tumor, like a tumor that turned into cancer on my uterus. So um, I didn't get a chance to um, kind of like fulfill that piece. But then Nike came back to me. They're like, hey, we really like what you're about. We really like what you stand for. When you're ready, let us know. Um, so I just dealt with the personal stuff that I needed to deal with. Mm -hmm. And then um, fast forward now, I'm like teaching Nike, um, teaching yoga on the app. Um, still in community, offering programs and um, classes and doing more meditations because I feel like that's what a lot of people need. Um, and it's an easy, accessible way for you to anchor back into your body. And just also like, you know, meditation, you can do affirmations, like all those kinds of things. Um, but yeah, that's like the Coles Note version of like how I kind of like ended up here. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting with me in yeah. the studio. Uh, firstly, thanks for sharing that. Thank you. Secondly... Whenever someone openly shares that they've gone through mm -hmm. a bout of depression, mm -hmm. I always like to ask what that looked like for you mm -hmm. because hearing about it in someone's words, someone's own words, mm -hmm. can be really helpful for anyone who may be experiencing mm -hmm. something and they're wondering mm -hmm. if they may be navigating depression or symptoms like that. So would you mind sharing a little bit about your experience? Sure. Um, uh, for me, um, so some people would say I'm a type A personality. Um, I, I beg to differ. I'm fluid. But I was really, like I said, like I had this ideal in my head of what it was supposed to be like to become a mother, right? And I had this idea of like what it was supposed to feel like. Uh, you know, I read every book, I watched every show, like you name it, I did it because I was like determined to be like prepared and the best. Unfortunately, when I had my son, like I just didn't feel that connection. And I felt really sad all the time. I felt really alone. I felt really isolated. Um, and then there's also like a cultural stigma. Like my background is Jamaican and Dominican and like, culturally speaking like depression wasn't something that you openly talk about it was something that like like we just don't get that like you you know you gotta be strong and like you know I grew up with too many white people that's what people would always say to me and I'm like no there's something wrong there's like a disconnect like I I I was having issues like even just trying to like feel connected to holding my son I would break down in tears all the time and I just wasn't, I didn't feel like myself, if that makes sense. Like, I just didn't, like, anybody who knows me knows that I'm, like, like always happy and smiling and just, like, you got this, we can do this. And I was just, like, I'm not feeling it today. 
I, I, I didn't want to like get up and take a shower. I didn't feel like eating. It was just like, I just felt really disconnected. And my mother, who happened to be a nurse, I went to her and I was like, hey, like, I really feel like something's up. And she was just like, well, maybe you're depressed. And I'm like, I, can I get depressed? Like, <laughs> I've never heard that word before. And she's like, well, that happens. And so I actually went to um, a doctor and they diagnosed me with postpartum depression. I ended up going to therapy and I used to do like group therapy sessions. And then I slowly started to feel myself coming back. And um, I can always recognize, like that's not to say like I've never been depressed ever since because I have. Um, but I also can tell like when I'm feeling myself falling down that rabbit hole, like feeling myself be a little bit disconnected, feeling myself kind of like sinking into this dark space um, where I just don't feel or have the energy to like show up and be myself. And that is something that like I've I've talked openly about just because especially like culturally, there's a lot of stigma. And I feel like now the conversations around mental health and anxiety and all those things have become a lot more normalized. But back then, <laughs> it was a lot. Um, and I faced a lot of stigma community-wise in terms of just being open about like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm having this issue. I'm struggling with that. And like, it's not a bad thing, but people made me feel like it was a bad. So it was like this place of like feeling alone and isolated, not being able to talk about it because no one understood it. Mm -hmm. But I knew that something was wrong. Like I just wasn't myself. Like I just was like not. And it has nothing to do with like gaslighting myself through life and being like I'm happy-go-lucky all the time. It just felt like dark and heavy. And I and I I was never used to feeling dark and heavy in my body and how that felt in my body and like again just like not having the energy or just just not feeling connected enough to do anything just it was just like a really dark time for me, um, which I'm thankful for because that has helped me even as a teacher and facilitating like conversations and even practices with people to be able to like legitimize like no it's okay you're allowed to feel that way yeah you know yeah and you mentioned occasionally feeling that mm -hmm. way mm -hmm. even still mm -hmm. what do you do when that creeps in now uh so I really am a big firm believer of somatic practices so somatic just like creating movement I always will say like the energy is getting stuck in my body. I can feel it. Um, so uh, now what I do is I do simple things. Um, I go for walks. Um, walks really help. Um, just getting me moving and my mind moving. Um, obviously, I practice yoga. Um, and I always like to tell people like some of my best practices are, um, happen when I'm on the mat and I'm just like in my element of just like, hey, like even if it's just – breathing through stuff. Um, breath work has been something that's been able to help me anchor through certain things, especially like during the pandemic. Like I think everybody's anxiety was on 10. So breath work was something I was just like, oh, I need to breathe. And people could hear me openly sigh and be like, what's up with you? And I'm like, I'm just breathing through this thing called life right now. Cause you know, so breath work has been something that I've anchored into a lot. Um, and then I just do simple things like putting on some music, um, dancing, um, I try to think of like really simple and accessible ways to be able to kind of like move through that. And then if worst case, um, I feel like I'm in a really dark space. I have a therapist. Mm -hmm. I'm all 100% for therapy. So um, <laughs> I have a therapist. And then also therapy also looks like just calling up your girls and just being like, hey, I'm just in a space right now. Mm -hmm. Can you come over? Can I come over? Can we go for a walk or do something? So yeah. those are like 
the key ones that I usually anchor into. Yeah. And that vulnerability is commendable and also difficult. Like mm-hmm. it can be both, right? Like yeah. vulnerability can be important and hard. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so for you to start by recognizing how you feel and then making the conscious choice to do something about that, that's admirable. And that is a great place to start. Yeah. I really also appreciated you sharing the hurdle that you had to overcome Mm -hmm. when it came to your health and also at the crossroads of this big opportunity for Mm -hmm. you with Nike. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how that played out for you? Um, (laughs) The funny thing was I did uh, I I did my tape. So when I found out that I actually was sick um, and, you know, uh, it wasn't something that I openly talked to everybody about. It was like afterwards when I was all said and done. But like um, when I found out that I was sick, it was just, I found out two days before I flew out to LA to do my yoga, when Nike was rebranding their yoga. Mm-hmm. And I flew out, I found out two days before and I was just like, man. And then I was just like, and they found the tumor it was like 10 centimeters large on the back of my uterus. Mm. And so part of me felt vindicated because for a whole year I had been struggling with this pain and I would go to the hospital and they'd be like, it's all in your head. I'm like, this is not all in my head. I feel like my periods are very abnormal. This is like not normal for me. So like y'all need to get it together. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, black women have a lot of issues when it comes to navigating the health industrial complex system. So, you know, I'm privileged enough to be able to say that I'm in a position to be able to advocate for myself. Um, and so I kept on pushing and pushing and eventually I, I found out what it was because they were like, it's all in your head. I'm like, it's not. Like, I don't think I want to spend a Friday night sitting in emergency for three hours. Like, I got way better things to do with my time. So I found out a couple of days before I went to LA and a part of me was just like, do I crawl in a corner and like curl up into a ball, which, you know, would have sent me into a really bad depression? Or do I take this really cool opportunity and go to L.A. and make the best of it? Because I just don't know what my next steps are going to be like when I come back. I'm going to have a whole bunch of decisions to make and stuff like that. I'm like, it's a free trip to L.A. <laughs> and I'd never been. <laughs> and so I like went to L.A. Um, I met some, like I said, amazing people on set um, who were really super supportive. And then when I came back, they had offered me to like um, actually like audition to be a teacher, uh, a trainer. And I was like, OK, cool. I thought at that time, like, you know, because they said like uh, I wouldn't find out until January. So I was like, I got time. Like I have time to like eventually hopefully get the surgery. Da, 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 da. Fast forward. COVID happens. <laughs> They're like you. Um, I had opted to have a hysterectomy just because I uh, felt that it was the best decision for me. Um, I-, I struggled to make that decision because a lot of, you know, we store a lot of energy in our womb space. Um, the idea and concept of how we show up as women sometimes is intrinsically tied to that space too as well. Um, and so, you know, that was something that I struggled with, but I felt that it was the best decision given the circumstances um, and the options that I had in front of me with regards to like the possibility of cancer coming back. Mm-hmm. My mother had um, breast cancer and it was mastistic and eventually she passed away of like brain cancer. So I had that trauma of living through taking care of my mother and seeing the things that she went through. And I was very adamant from a very young age that if I ever got sick like that, I was just going to be like, Chama, do what you got to do. Take it out. Like, um, because I've seen what that does, especially being a young child and caregiver to your 
adult parent is very hard. And so I had I'd made that decision. And so I uh, waited and waited and waited. And then uh, my doctor called me one day. She's like, there's like this window. We got like two days. She's like, you can go in, you can have the surgery and be out. You're like really healthy. It's going to be all good. Like all that kind of stuff. Um, and I went and did it. And <laughs> the same day I had my surgery is the same day Nike called me. <laughs> Was it in January? No, it was. So I had to wait. So I went to L.A. in November. I ended up getting everything confirmed in February. COVID happens like two weeks later after Great. all that. Everything shut down. I didn't get my my surgery until September 28th. Wow. So I had to like sit through all that. Wow. Um, and still try to like navigate and show up and be all the different people that I am for many different people. And so when she called me, she's like, this is, I think they're going to come out of a lockdown. We have this little bit of a window. I was like, I'll take it. And like, I had my surgery on the 28th. Nike called me like that day. <laughs> they were like, um, uh, um, are you able to like, we want to like do some stuff. And I was like, like, so what happened was like, you know what I mean? Because in my head, they said January. Yeah. Right. So I thought I had all this time to right. be like, I could go have the surgery, get better. Like, and I. I was really extra with it too because prior to my surgery, like I, I did like, you know, we're content creators. So like all these photo shoots. So like I would be like in my head, I was like, I'm going to post from my bed. And yeah. no one would know that I was sick. Like that in my head, I was like, it was something that I kept really private. Um, I just didn't also know how to talk about it. Yeah. Um, because it was a very emotional time for me. And so I felt like, okay, like if I, I came up with this really cool plan and then, Nike's like, oh, like, we want you to come in. And I was like, oh, shoot, I, I can't. And they're like, why? And I was like, oh, and I was very honest with them. And they're like, oh, my gosh, like, take care of yourself. And yeah. when you're ready, like, let us know. Um, and then I had my surgery. And unfortunately, I had complications. My stitches kept on popping. <laughs> um, and so I had to keep going back into the hospital and extending my stays longer because I, would, I was literally rushed in three times for emergency surgery um, because I was like internally bleeding. It was just really not a fun time. Um, and I'm very happy and blessed to be here because I also know what it's like to kind of like be on the other side where you're like, I might not make it. Mm -hmm. I got a phone call from Nike. They were like, okay, we know that you can't teach yoga right now, but can you do a meditation? I was like, oh, on Zoom? Of course. That's like the easiest thing because it didn't require me to do anything because I was mm -hmm. literally put on bed rest for like six months. I wasn't allowed to do anything, no exercise because they just didn't know why my stitches were popping. And I think I was in a place where, again, my mental health was like, I was afraid to cough. I was afraid to sneeze. I was afraid to go to the washroom. I was like, to my friends, don't make me laugh because I just don't know why my stitches kept on popping. They mm -hmm. just did. And, you know, the doctor was just like, hey, this is the last time we did all we could do after this. Like, you know, and I was like, I understand. They offered me an opportunity to do a meditation. I was like, okay, I, I could do that. That's not hard and just required me to sit. And so I did a meditation and then I get kept on called back to do more meditations then it kind of just unfolded from there and then they were like okay when you feel like you're ready in a position to come back and teach we'd like to invite you back to like doing some training and I was like okay cool and then um I did that last year last year I filmed for the app so it was like a whole like full circle like a year and a bit almost two years later um, since the initial interaction with them to the moment where I was like, okay, I feel like I'm healthy enough. 
I feel like I feel secure enough in my body um, and to show up as what my body was at that time, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, I'm not like a size two. <laughs> and like, you know, I think that we're in wellness, you know, there's like this idea of what wellness is supposed to look like and what a yoga stru- instructor is supposed to look like. So like, you know, I also had to kind of like cross that hurdle of like, I don't look like your typical yogi person. And I, I have all this like luggage or bags as Erica Boudou would say like with me like I'm carrying all this luggage like you know what I mean and showing up on set and like you know what does this mean for me but then like how important is it for me to like hold space for myself and then you know my whole entire ethos of what I was all about was like seeing yourself being reflected and you know um when one of the uh, directors on set Greg he was just like hey my mom's gonna do yoga now because of you because she like she can see herself and I was like okay like you know, it's not a bad space to be in at the end of the day. And, and then now I'm here teaching classes for them. And, and, and um, I'm really thankful and blessed for that opportunity. How are you feeling now? I'm great. I am also like so blessed to be able to, you know, make the connections and have the networks that we have. So I just had some amazing, once I was transparent to like my friend circle, to be able to be like, this is what I've gone through. Like, I've had, like, you know, my friend Navi, she does Ayurveda. She was just, like, sending me stuff. And I have, like, some really great friends who just showed up for me and helped me through this process. And I had a really good pelvic floor specialist, which, thank God, (laughs) Um, because I just had to relearn my body, right? And then also, like, there's this empty space, too, right? So what does that mean to, like, hold space for myself and move my body in this new transitionary period. And, you know, that comes with like, you know, I had a hysterectomy. That means I'm like premenopausal, like comes with a whole bunch of things that I didn't necessarily think that I was going to experience, but I am. And I'm navigating through them. I, I appreciate when people say what hot flashes feel like. I totally know that now. <laughs> like I'm just in the space of re- relearning to love my body yeah, and relearning to appreciate my body. Just like sit back and be like, sometimes we don't realize just the amount of work like our body goes through and how much they support, like our body supports us. Like I feel like sometimes we take that for granted and like maybe it took me being humbled and like, you know, like having these moments where I was like, oh my God, I literally might not make it out of this like, operating room right like literally like seeing your life like you know when you see the movies and like they see the light your life flashes before your eyes like it literally felt like that in slow motion right and then so when I came back out of that and I'm like I'm in this position I have like you know a new lease on life like how am I going to show up for myself better right um because I also believe that part of the reason why I was sick was because I was probably in a very unhealthy relationship and I was also not holding space for myself the ways that I needed to hold space for myself. And so now like I appreciate this opportunity to like love on me a lot differently. And I also appreciate the fact that like my body has been through so much. The journey still continues and I've had to learn to have like a different conversation with my body. I went from like having like a really great you know vinyasa practice to like I I can't do certain things right Uh, or it's taking me longer right like in my head I was supposed to be down for like eight weeks 10 weeks tops because I was healthy and you know to be on bed rest and not move your body for six months Mm -hmm. and then I gained a whole bunch of weight and I had to this and I had to like I had to like really like sit with myself and be like 
who and how am I showing up for myself, right? Who is who is this person you want to show up for? Are you showing up for everybody else? And like, then I also have the responsibility of being like a mother, like a friend. Like I have all these other responsibilities. So I was just like, what what kind of things am I teaching, especially my children? How do I normalize conversations about like, how do I speak to myself in a way that is loving and nurturing and nourishing? And I have to learn how to do that because like my body isn't the same as it used to be. It never will be. And I'm okay with that. Um, and I also held space to grieve for the fact that I I don't have a womb. I'll never be able to have more children. Like all what that means. And I held space for that. But I also have held space for welcoming in whatever opportunities me and my body are going to be receiving. And so it's been a very interesting journey that's been like really rooted in a lot of self-compassion being in wellness we talk about all these things but now like really forced me to like live the walk that I talk taking a break from today's episode to talk to you about my sponsor at inside tracker now when you do what you love like running racing enjoying the great outdoors. <laughs> you want to do it for life and Inside Tracker can help. Inside Tracker was founded in 2009 by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics. Using their patented algorithm, Inside Tracker analyzes your body's data to provide you with a clear picture of what's going on inside you and then offer you science-backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. It's been so helpful for me. I just did, I think this was my third ultimate panel and especially at the beginning of a marathon training cycle, it is so helpful for me to really home in on the areas where I may be a little bit deficient. Like many women, I am a little low in iron. My ferrin levels are a little low. And so with the data from my inside tracker test, I now am monitoring this and making smart changes within my diet so that I can perform my best and give my body what it really needs. Of course, Inside Tracker has an offer for the Hurdle listeners. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Simply just go over to insidetracker.com, I N S I D E T R A C K E R.com slash hurdle to get this offer today. Again, 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store at insidetracker.com slash hurdle. live the walk that I talk yeah. while you're easily transitioning us into the conversation that I want to have with you surrounding the idea of embracing our bodies as our homes, mm -hmm. something that does take a fair amount of that grace and self-compassion. I know it's something that you've spoken about before, mm -hmm. both in meditation and on your social platform. What does it mean to properly treat your body as your home? <sighs> I think it's about learning how to just show up for yourself, right? I don't necessarily feel that we're taught the ways in which we could honor ourselves and show up for ourselves. I think it's very easy for us, and I think especially as women, we're like socially conditioned and brought up to be able to show up and be there for others. 
um, but not necessarily taught to show up and be there for ourselves. So what does that mean to honor your boundaries? Say no when you really, really want to say like, no, not say yes, because you feel like you're obligated to like creating home and just in terms of just appreciating like this vessel that you have and all the things that it can and will do for you. And just learning just to like love yourself unconditionally and being in that space of being taught because we're taught like to kind of shrink ourselves a lot. And so like being authentic to who you are and being okay with being authentic to who you are. Because a lot of the times we navigate these spaces where people give you expectations of what they expect you to be like and how they expect you to show up. But really being like, but does that honor me? Does that honor the space within myself? Does that feel good in my heart? Right. Or like, does that feel good in the pit of my stomach? Because, you know, intuition is naturally inherently built into who we are as human beings if we pay attention to it. So like just really being in that space of knowing that I'm just going to be true to myself and being okay with it not being okay with everybody else. Mm -hmm. Because that's the part. I guess you could say that I'm a recovering people pleaser and I'm okay with that. I'll wear that. But I think there's so many variables that made me into trying to prove my worth all the time to someone else without realizing the most important person I needed to try to prove my worth to or uh, remind myself of my worth was myself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'll never forget. I went to a workshop in Los Angeles once and one of the questions that we started off with or prompts our eyes were closed and the facilitator said, think of someone you love. Mm -hmm. And at the very end of it, they asked, did anyone think of themselves? Mm -hmm. Not a single person, I think there were 50 of us in that room, raised our hand saying that that person that we love Mm -hmm. is ourselves. And how are we supposed to go around every day as the person that talks to ourselves the most in any given day Mm -hmm. and not think of ourselves as someone that we love. Right. And just like even thinking about the things that you, I always say like, you know, one of the things that's helped me is cultivating a practice rooted in self-compassion. So yeah, we have self-love, self-worth, but like self-compassion, it's like speaking kindness onto yourself and like how easy is it for you to like give me grace and be like, hey, Rebecca, and you give me a, you speak so much kindness and compassion into myself and to me, like somebody you really don't know. Mm-hmm. But like how often does Emily speak kindness and compassion into herself, right? And 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 it's so interesting that you said that of the 50 people, nobody thought of themselves, right? And then it just goes to kind of like show us that like, like part of that is the ways in which we're socially conditioned to shrink ourselves and also social conditions not to think about ourselves. Yeah. Like, why is there so much guilt around the a whole entire idea of, like, putting yourself first, right? You know, like, last time I checked, we, unless you're a twin. But even that, you're born separately. Like, you're born into this world, into this being who you are, right? But you spend so much time, like, being a human being for someone else instead of being a human being for yourself right and so like really thinking about the ways in which you can honor that space within fill your own cup and love on yourself and I think like being a mother like you're always putting your children first and their needs first but then I also realize that like if I'm not taking care of myself then how could I pour into them or give them the best of me when I'm not giving myself the best of me either 
And sometimes I struggle with this in wellness too as well, because a lot of the things that we look at when we're talking about wellness and the idea of being well centers around this idea that we're like all these broken people and broken beings when we're not really as broken as we think. And it's okay to like be in two different places. Like you can be broken and healing at the same time. You can be like happy and sad. You can be scared and strong. You can be all these things because that's the compassion part that comes along with it. And the, the and like the words that we choose to speak into ourselves should be the exact same words that we speak onto others. So if you're like, you know, girl, you look good today, then Emily, you look good too. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's so easy for us to extend that grace and compassion to so many others, but never extending that same grace and compassion to ourselves. And so like, that's something that I've been exploring a lot in my work um, because I think it's really important. And I don't necessarily feel like we do enough of that in our work. Yeah, the question that comes to mind then for someone who, not just in this conversation, but Mm -hmm. everywhere Mm -hmm. they hear, have more grace for yourself and be kind and compassionate. And we're talking about, you know, treating your body like it's your home. Mm-hmm. And they're like, how? Mm-hmm. How do I start? Where do I start? How am I supposed to get on this page where I have more grace with myself when maybe it feels as though the world is crumbling around you or things are going wrong with work or you're getting out of a long-term relationship? There are so many different variables that could be complicating Mm -hmm. your personal experience. So for someone who wants to be better at treating their body like their home and having that compassion, where do they begin? I think it's really interesting, that question, just because like I live in this body of being like a black woman. And every single day I'm reminded of it. Sometimes it's comfortable and a lot of the times it's not comfortable and so I feel like when you're living in a state of constant flux or your identity is continuously othered or like you have like a whole bunch of intersectionalities that you occupy like the first thing you know I always do is just like ask my heart like how is it doing like where am I at how does this feel for me I've learned how to be friends with myself and I think that like it sounds so easy when we say these things like show up in compassion, show up in grace. And I just want to be transparent around the fact that it's it's hard. It's really hard. Showing up and being in compassion to yourself is, I just started simply by like journaling and like taking the opportunity to just to write how I felt out, what I was feeling, what I was going through. And then also just learning, like I said, to learn how to be my own friend. So learning how to speak kindness into my own life like for example I would have this tendency like when I could get overwhelmed and be like oh my god like like this sucks right but like then changing the language that I would say to myself to be like okay like it's fine like I'm good like or not necessarily like that but like in the sense of just being able to be in a place where I would just be saying kinder things to myself like you know sometimes we're like oh I'm so stupid who told you that like, you know what I mean? No, you're not stupid. So how do you reframe that language? So then you're like, hey, like, I made a bad decision. It might not have been the smartest decision for me to make, but that doesn't mean you're stupid. Mm-hmm. So like really being mindful of the the words that you speak over yourself. Saul Williams has this quote where he's like, be careful of what you eat. Like, be mindful of what you eat. And 
when you eat, it's not just talking about the food that you put in your body, but like the music that you listen to, the books that you read, but more importantly, the words that you say to yourself, Mm -hmm. right? Because you feed yourself, right? And so if you feed yourself negative thoughts, then negative is what ends up growing and manifesting, right? And so like, it's a simple practice of just like changing the language in terms of how I show up for myself. It's a simple practice of just checking in and saying, hey, Rebecca, like, how are you feeling today? Because like, when was the last time you asked yourself, how do you feel? You know, and even with my kids, I'm always like, how, how was your day? And they're like, it was good. And I'm like, well, what made your day good? Mm. Right? Because mm-hmm. like, you also need to start recognizing and knowing like, what are the things that feed you? What are the things that take away from you? What are the things that like don't nourish you? Um, and then also recognizing that, you know, we all can admit that we live in a, a society that really cultivates us cultivating practices of shrinking ourselves, of toxic energy towards ourselves. As much as we, you and I curate content, we're curating content that is premised on this idea of seeking validation from somebody else, mm-hmm. right? Like hearts, likes, like, you know what I mean? Like figuring out this algorithm. So <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like it's placing our worth again in somebody else's hands rather than recognizing that we need to part placing our worth on our own. Yeah. And I think that's like really super important. And so for me, that looks like, does this serve Rebecca, right? Um, is this in alignment with Rebecca? Does this mean shutting down conversations because I'm just not, no, it's not, it's not healthy for me. It's not even healthy for you, right? The person who's coming at you like that. It means saying no and letting go of people who are blocking your light or who are trying to shrink you or trying to like prevent you from growing and glowing, whatever. And again, it's just about having those important conversations with yourself in terms of just thinking other ways in which you can speak kindness into yourself. So as much as you're like giving it to other people, giving that, extending that same compassion and grace back to yourself. Yeah, and I loved this quote that you shared on your social media. You said, today I rise knowing that healing occurs the moment I stop trying to find and build a home in others. Finding and building a home within, no matter how big or small that home is, is an act of radical self-love. That idea of trying to build a home within others is us so often Mm -hmm. reaching out for that external validation, Mm -hmm. reaching out for what we feel as though we are lacking. Mm -hmm. And it's normal, right? Like that is a normal behavior. We are sociable people. We are sociable beings. We are meant to connect with others. But when you place all of your value on the perspective or actions of someone else, then you lose a piece of yourself in that. 100%. I would say that I lost myself a lot of times (laughs) along the way. I might get a little emotional. I wrote that specifically coming from the perspective of placing my value and worth in other people's hands and allowing that to determine who I was and not recognizing that like I was giving them too much power and not not giving myself enough power. You know, like just the other day I was talking to one of my friends and she was telling me about something that she was going through. And then I was just like, but like, what do you want? Right? Like you're telling me about this person, but like, like I'm recognizing where does this come from? Where does this need for us to like prove ourselves Mm. and our value and our worth, Mm -hmm. you know? And so like I had to do like a lot of like inner work and recognize that like, you know, 
I, I grew up, you know, I, I love my mother and she was an amazing person, but I didn't actually have the most healthiest relationship with my mother. And so like, I had to do a lot of like inner child work and like healing from that and recognizing that like, that's where the need to prove my worth started and originated from. And then, you know, like navigating this space, like when my family immigrated to Canada, my mom was a nanny. So like, you know, that's not exactly like the coolest thing to talk about in front of your friends at school and, and having to prove my worth there. Right. And then like, you know, um, just trying to like, you know, I was supposed to go to school and become a lawyer, like, cause that was a thing. Like, clearly I'm not a lawyer, <laughs> but like these ideals of who we're supposed to be that are predicated on somebody else's opinion. Mm-hmm. And then our incessant need to be like, Hey, Hey, look at me. Like I'm doing it right. Right. Like, um, I'm pretty enough. Right. Like I'm skinny enough. Right. Like mm-hmm. now you'll like me. Right. I did all these things. I, I was in a relationship where I was with somebody And we have three beautiful children because of that. But like, it might not have been the most healthiest because I place so much of my worth and my value in their hands. And like when things didn't work out, then I was just like, well, then what do I have for myself? People can reject you. You just lose sight of who you are. Mm -hmm. And then it's like a long climb back up that mountain (laughs) to get back to like the mountaintop of Rebecca or the mountaintop of Emily, like the mountaintop of who you are Mm -hmm. because you spent so much of your time giving yourself to somebody else or others. Right. And so like my whole identity, I'm like a mother, I'm a, I'm a friend, I'm a sister, I'm a daughter, like, you know what I mean? But I'm still Rebecca. So like I'm feeding into all these other identities, but when am I feeding into Rebecca and pouring into Rebecca and how often does that happen? And then more importantly, it's like, I'm placing my my worth in your hands and you can crush me. Like you can just squeeze that hand and like the essence of who I am is just like evaporates into dust. And then you're like lost, right? And then it's like, then what happens? And so like, I had this epiphany where I was just like, you know, lots of therapy <laughs> um, and lots of yoga. <laughs> And lots of like sessions where I was just like venting and being angry and healing because healing is not pretty um, to come to this recognition that like I had given so much of myself and I lost who I was. I, you know, wanted to reclaim those parts of me that were fearless, those reclaim those parts of me that was like, you know, I'm a little goofy. I'm a little this. I'm a little that like, but I kind of like put those on the back burner because that's not how people wanted me to show up. But I was like, this is who I am. And like, if you can't necessarily accept me for who I am, maybe you're not the right person to be in my life. Hell yeah. Right? Yeah. All of everything that you're getting into here, it's a struggle that many can relate to. And oftentimes it takes these difficult hurdle moments, situations for us to genuinely understand the value of investing in self. Right. When I learned the importance of investing in myself, I was not only better to show up for myself, but then, of course, as you touched on, show up for other people that I care about. And it is really easy to get caught up in giving so much of yourself to someone else that you feel as though your worth is 
sitting in their hands, but we have the opportunity to make our body, our soul, our vessel, and come to terms with just how much value we have to bring to the table. And the healing is hard. Mm-hmm. It also never stops. It never. And that's one thing. If if every anybody gets anything from this conversation, because <laughs> you know, I was talking to somebody and they were just like adamant. And I think I even like posted about this. They were like, they were saying something to me and they're like, but are you healed? But are you healed? Like you went through all this stuff, but are you healed? And I'm like, no, I'm not. Healed. I'm not healed. And you know what? That's okay. Right. Because they, they feel like healing was supposed to be like this final destination. Like it's healing, meaning it is a process, like meaning that it's continuous. And like you're along this journey and something else might pop up. Like, you know what I mean? And so like, I really think that like, you know, we have to get rid of like these static notions and understanding that like healing is a fixed one last stop destination. And it's okay for you to be dynamic and fluid and understand that like healing is a journey. Like we're placed on this path called or journey called life, right? It's not linear. There's so many ebbs and flows, ups and downs, circles. So why would we have the expectation that processes along this journey called life such as healing would just be one static like one stop like one shoe fits all kind of vibe it's it's, it's that's it's not the not wave it. no that's not the way it's not it <laughs> that is not it and well. i think if more people did that then more people would have more compassion to the towards themselves and more people would have understanding and they would like understanding for themselves and for each other. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if more people were to be able to do that, then you're just creating a different dynamic for how you show up for yourself and how you allow others to show up for yourselves. And like even how we, you know, cultivate better practices around not just self-care, but the larger practice of like community care, which is essentially what the whole entire essence of what wellness is supposed to be about. It's about us taking care of each other. Taking ourselves. care of each other. Yeah. Starts with you though. Yes, yes it does. <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca, I'm so excited that we were able to make this happen and sit down together. This was a really great conversation. I'm leaving with a lot of thoughts about how I can more so invest in my body and maybe prioritize that again because again, yeah. that prioritization, it's like something that you start doing, but you always have to keep relearning it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And not to feel guilty about it either. Totally. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of language around making us feel guilty around that. And it's not. It's not selfish. It's totally not selfish. And I don't know, like your ancestors didn't work this hard for you to sit <laughs> and sh- and shrink your light and, and not prioritize yourself like, you know, like keep going. Exactly. How do the hurdlers follow along with you? How do they keep up with you? Give us your details. They can find me on um, Instagram, obviously, um, at Rebecca Price. And I will be dropping a new website at www.rebeccaprice.com. And find my meditations on Spotify and Apple Music. Dope. Mm-hmm. I'm over at Emily Body and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. <laughs> <laughs>